You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And today is one of my favorite episodes to do in the offseason because I get to learn a lot. What we're going to do is we're going to have an expert come on the show and talk about the Pacers' new players at their old stops. You can get more about their background, their game, how they got good at basketball uh, before they came to the Pacers. So Chris Duarte uh, coming from Oregon. We'll have Joey McMurray, who is the director of Brad Broadcasting for Oregon, come on and talk about him. Uh, Zach Geegan, who uh, covers Kentucky basketball for Kentucky Sports Radio, is going to come on to talk about Isaiah Jackson and Evan Sittery. You might know him from Locked On Colts, but he also covers the Phoenix Suns for Basketball News and Forbes Sports. He's going to talk about Torrey Craig, so we can break down all the new guys, learn about their games, learn about how they'll fit the Pacers and how they got here. So let's just jump right into it. We'll start with Chris Duarte and Joey McMurray, so let's just hop right in. We are now joined by Joey McMurray, the director of broadcasting for the Oregon Sports Network, calling the Oregon Ducks to talk about Chris Duarte. First of all, Joey, how excited were you after covering Chris for two years at Oregon to just see him get picked in the lottery after after his time with the Ducks? Oh, man, I was so excited. I mean, Chris is such a cool story. You know, he, he gets he gets cut from the Dominican national team and he's kind of going, man, what do I do? He goes the junior college route coming from outside the United States. And then next thing you know, he's, he's a star again and everybody's starting to say, man, yeah, you know, junior college player of the year, Dane Altman seems to recruit those JCs pretty darn well. And he gets to Oregon. And then next thing you know, it's like, man, this guy's got an NBA body. This guy's pretty good. And I was just really excited for him because it's a guy who really, I think was, a late bloomer might be an unfair phrase, but I think it's it's apt in this description about him because he's a little older for a guy who's a lottery pick, right? And and I think that that's that's just something that that, that tells you just how good he is, and I think just how how much he's developed uh, over the last few years. I was so excited for him, and and I, I say all that about his game and his story, but he's also just a great guy. You know, he's just he's got a good head on his shoulders. He's got a great heart, and. He always has a smile that'll make you laugh. And, and that's what I always loved about him, you know. And so I'm I'm so excited for him. Just for a guy who got a chance to work with him like I did, it was uh, really a dream come true for a lot of Oregon fans to see a guy like him go where he did. He was fantastic for the Pacers in Summer League. Blew the doors off of everybody watching him and you know, even didn't even play in their last game because the Pacers said, you know what, we've seen enough. We know you're going to be good. His jumper was fantastic, especially off the dribble. His team defense was really good. How does that compare to kind of the skills and the talent he showed at Oregon? And, and where do you feel like that fits into his game in general? Yeah, I think the jump shot, you hit on it. You know, that was what he really, really worked on. And he really developed that. Uh, because remember, he was playing next to Peyton Pritchard, who's now doing some pretty good things for the Celtics at the NBA level. And so, you know, I, I think seeing him kind of be the sidekick to Peyton Pritchard, he learned a lot during his junior year, just kind of how Peyton developed in the off season and, and what it took for Peyton Pritchard to get to the level that now he's at. So I think Chris really took all that to heart and developed his senior year into something that was pretty darn special, obviously. And, and now I think Pacer fans are seeing that, you know, as you alluded to just killing it in summer league, I think the jump shot is, is definitely a, a big piece to that. Um, but I I'll say what I think separates him because a lot of guys can shoot, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys at the college level that can shoot. There's a lot of guys that can score. 
what separates him is his defense. And, and you hit on that, you know, that, that was what I thought separated him during his time at Oregon and why I thought that he could be really, really good in the NBA, because he's not only very, very, very good at anticipating passes and getting into passing lanes and, and stealing the basketball, he'll block a lot of shots too. And he's probably not going to do that as much, but I know he had one game where you're going to know better than me, Tony, but he had four blocks, four, four steals in one summer league game. And I think a lot of people are going, man, yeah, that's really crazy. But if you go look at his statistics over his time at Oregon, he had some games where he didn't quite do that, but he had a lot of games where he was really involved defensively. And, you know, one thing that coach Altman and, and, and the staff here at Oregon track in every practice in every game, and they really believe in it is deflections. And Chris Duarte was, was always near the top of that list, whether it be, you know, when he's going up and bothering a guy at, at the rim or he's bothering a guy from behind in transition, he's stealing the basketball around the perimeter. That, that I think, is, is what really could translate in the long term at, at the NBA level. I feel like you're just like preaching the first quarter of Chris Duarte's summer league because his first bucket, he got a steal on a team defense read and then buried a pull-up three. And then about 30 minutes later, he did a, that two-handed block that went viral and he just absolutely swatted mm-hmm. it into what would have been the stands at a normal NBA stadium. So the things you've highlighted that stood out to you at Oregon, he showed immediately at the NBA level and he had quite a few nice t- team defensive plays and blocks. Uh, in summer league that show that, you know, he can read the game on that end of the floor. I think that's one of his strengths. And I think he'll fit well defensively uh, in the way that Rick Carlisle wants to play as a result. When I look at Duarte, you know, I watched a few of his games at Oregon, but I only watched full games from his senior year. Um, I look at his stats, his junior year, they were all a little lower. And then he grew a ton into that senior year. And you mentioned Peyton Pritchard and his impact on that potentially, but how do you feel like Duarte was able to grow and improve so much between a 23 year old junior and a 24 year old senior? Well, like I was alluding to with kind of learning from Peyton, you know, Coach Altman said a lot of what made Chris Duarte successful during what was such an unusual year for everybody, but particularly for college basketball players. And how about a guy with international family that he's trying to keep track of as well? I mean, there was a lot going on in that young man's life. And yet he still worked really hard in the offseason, not just necessarily on the basketball floor, but in the weight room. I mean, if you look at the way that his body transformed might be too strong of a word, but the way that his body evolved, I think, you know, the strength staff at Oregon deserves a lot, a lot of credit for that. And coach Altman, I think he really harps on that in the off season. And, and, you know, that's what Peyton Pritchard did. That's what guys like Dylan Brooks did previously at Oregon before Dylan took his big jump. Jordan Bell did, did the same thing. You know, it's, it's that off season where a lot of those guys, I think their bodies change a little bit and they evolve. That's what Chris Duarte really worked at. And so I, to me, that stuck out to me just, and I'll be honest, like I'll be the first to admit, I was not around the team this past year as much as I usually am with all the different restrictions that were in place with with COVID, as you can imagine. But just talking with all of the coaches and all of the support staff and, and from when I was around, it was like, yeah, I mean, this is a guy that, that epitomizes just those little things and those little details that, that get you better during the off season. And then on the floor, you know, Coach Altman talked a lot about how he needed to work on his ball handling. He's done that. He needed to continue to improve his defense and his jump shot. He did that. And then I think, you know, you were talking about how the numbers were a little lower and where he improved. I, I actually think that maybe one of the biggest things that that's tough to quantify statistically 
is that when he was the guy and he wasn't, you know, the number two scoring option behind Peyton Pritchard, he rose to that occasion. I mean, it's tough to quantify that clutch gene, right? But but I'll, one game that I'll, I'll tell Pacer fans, if you want to just go and be excited about what this guy can do in crunch time, there was a, a game where Stanford was at Matthew Knight Arena and Chris Duarte pretty much took over. If memory serves, he scored 19 of the final 21 points in that game for Oregon. And the Ducks ended up running away with it in the last five minutes or so, right before the, the under four media timeout in college basketball. You know, they take those timeouts at the 16, 12, 8, and 4. And basically from just before that media timeout and then out of the media timeout, Chris Duarte was just dominant. I mean, he was the best player on the court. There was no way you were going to stop him both offensively and defensively. And I think that's where he took the biggest step. And, you know, maybe that's just a culmination of all of those little things that he did throughout the offseason and throughout the season. But he showed up when it mattered most. And, And if you look at his game logs, he was scoring a lot of his points in crunch time for the Ducks. And I think that's where he took the biggest step forward. He embraced being the guy on the Oregon roster after Peyton Pritchard had moved on to the NBA and he showed up, he walked the walk in all of those different scenarios. And and that's, I think what, what makes him a special guy. And that's why he was a lottery pick. Yeah. There were only two close Pacers games in summer league and he performed well near the end of both against Atlanta and New York. The other three games, he was so good. And the Pacers were so good that there was no crunch time, right? He just, they blew the doors off the other team. He had three buzzer beaters though, which, which sort of speaks to that clutch that, create a shot, end of shot, end of shot clock situation. Uh, it was kind of funny. It became like laughable at the end. Every time someone took a buzzer beater that wasn't Duarte, it became disappointing. But yeah, all that stuff makes sense to me. And you'll have to find that Stanford game because that sounds quite electric. Uh, one guy I want to talk about in relation to Duarte is Dylan Brooks. Do you sense any similarities between them after watching them both go through Oregon? Work ethic and the want and desire to play well on defense. Um, those are a couple things that that come to mind that Coach Altman has talked a lot about too. You know, and I, I think that that's really what I saw with with Duarte. You know, similar type of body. Dylan's a little bit bigger and longer, but you know, they were both guys that could defend a lot of different positions on the court. And I think that's what ended up separating Dylan in his junior year before he went pro, and then. And then Chris's senior year, when when he was really able to defend anybody around the perimeter and he could give people problems. Now, a little different game in the NBA. You know, he's probably not going to be defending a lot of fives and fours, but that's what his versatility was able to 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 give the Ducks in in this past year and in the last couple of years. So he he and Dylan Brooks, I think, compare in that way. And then the work ethic. You know, the, one of the best stories that I can tell anybody anytime, and Coach Altman will will tell this story too. Dylan Brooks used to know the scouting report better than the coaches did. You know, he was just, he was just that guy, right? Like he was the guy that was reading the scouting report, you know, every single detail on the scouting report that the coaches would put together. And they, you know, they give the guys the printout or they give them the PDF, you know, however they do it. And then they go through film, you know, Dylan Brooks will be calling out what they're doing in film before coach Altman can even explain to the rest of the team what's going on. And, and that's what made Dylan Brooks so good. And that's what I think in large part has made Oregon's program so good because that sort of work ethic and desire has continued since Dylan Brooks left. Dylan still occasionally will talk to the team and whenever he's around, that, that's always his message. It's always, hey, you got to do everything possible because everybody's athletic. Everybody's good. You got to do everything possible to separate yourself. And that was one of the things that Dylan did. 
Chris was that way too. I mean, Chris just had that sort of work ethic. And, and I think that, you know, I, I'm the first to say that, and, and maybe the coaches would, would give some others credit for this, but I think Dylan Brooks deserves a lot of credit for that, that culture that exists at Oregon now. I don't know how closely you follow the NBA specifically or the Pacers, but do you feel like Indiana is a good landing spot for Duarte for his early portions of his career? Well, I'm the first to admit that I'm so absorbed in college basketball that I definitely don't do not follow the NBA like I used to. But I'll say this, and 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 this is really all I do for a living, right? I, I call myself a professional regurgitator because I just listen <laughs> to what I just listen to what people that are a lot smarter than me say, and then I just regurgitate it for fans to to hear it, and and then sometimes in a way that fans can understand it. And I'll just say this: that the coaching staff was pretty darn excited when Chris Duarte was going to Indiana. Um, and I think if the coaching staff is pretty darn excited about the fit, then, then who am I to disagree with them? So they were pretty darn excited about, about that landing spot for Chris. Well, that's good to hear. I think you will be a great fit here and I'm excited to, to watch his career develop, especially after everything you've told me today, Joey's on Twitter at Joey Mac, you owe uh, Joey. I really appreciate the time and you breaking down a little bit of Chris's background for us. Hey, you bet. Tell Chris I said hey and uh, let him know that uh, he's getting better at wearing all the headsets because the very first time I ever had him on the radio, he said, yeah, these are a little different than my video game headset that I'm used to wearing. So (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Hey, thank you. Hey, guys, let's take a quick little break here so we can talk about the great folks over at betonline.ag because it's that time of year again when football is coming up. Teams are back on the gridiron starting the football season and BetOnline is your number one source for all the pro and college action this season, they've got updated odds, props, and contests, including the half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now over at BetOnline. Head over to that website, sign up today. You'll receive a 100% welcome bonus with the promo code Locked On When you sign up, you can take advantage of all their promos. And they have NBA futures on there. Rick Carlisle, fourth-best odds for Coach of the Year. Chris Duarte, ninth-best odds for Rookie of the Year. If you're into that stuff, go check it out. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, football, basketball, boxing, horse racing. Don't miss out. BetOnline.ag. Use that promo code LOCKDOWN and you sign up. Your online sportsbook experts. All right, and now joining me from Basketball News, Forbes Sports, formerly Locked On Suns, formerly Bright Side of the Sun. Currently, you'll recognize his voice also on the football side from Locked On Colts, Evan Sidery, to talk Tory Craig. Evan, you're a busy guy. How you doing, man? Yeah, it's been fun so far covering, like you mentioned, all those publications, juggling everything, but can't ask for anything better so far. I'm excited to talk about who I think is a really good addition to Pace and Tory Craig. Yeah, he was a huge addition for the Suns, that's for sure. It's so funny to look back on his season last year and realize he played for both final teams, didn't really have a role in Milwaukee today. So I think it was just a trade for cash, right, to Phoenix? Was it what it was? So Yeah, just cash considerations. So the, the Suns bring him in to, I believe, mostly be a defender. But you, you would know much better than me. Um, but the first question I had for Craig, because every time I scour clips of him, he's guarding someone awesome, right? Kevin Durant or Giannis in the finals very often. How often when he's in the game, does he guard the best player on the other team? Surprisingly, when he came in, especially during the playoff run, just from what we saw at the Suns making it to the finals, he swung that series against the Clippers. I mean, he shut down Paul George in the last few games of that series. Paul George shot, I believe, four of 12 against Torrey Craig, and a lot of those were really tough contested shots, 25% from the field and guard by Torrey Craig. And in game six, he played over 30 minutes in that one where Without Torrey Craig's defense locking down Paul George, they, they probably force a game seven. They go back to Phoenix for a winner-take-all game seven for a, a finals berth. So Torrey Craig really 
was a swing piece for them in the playoffs. And then especially regular season, I'd say it was more so just guarding like the bulkier wings, like a Jimmy Butler, like a Paul George, for example. He has like a certain type that you can go up against. So if Indiana were to go up against Miami a lot or even go up against like a Jason Tatum in Boston, you could throw Torrey Craig out there for about 15, 20 minutes per game, make it tough on them and see what happens. Because he did prove himself well in Phoenix. And I do wonder about the shooting. He is a career 33% three-point shooter, but during the playoff run, he shot over 40%, 30, almost 37% in the regular season for the Suns after he was traded there. So I do wonder if that's sustainable long-term, but even if it's not, He's a great defender and a really savvy player who doesn't really make much mistakes. Yeah, the defense is the big thing and the, and the playoff-ready player something the Pacers need, right? This is wild because Torrey Craig's only been in the year for four years, three years, whatever. Um, but he has played in more playoff games than any Pacer, right? He's played in 55 playoff games between Denver and the Suns, and no Pacer has reached that amount, which is wild because he didn't even enter the NBA until he was like 27. So that's a good addition for the team. They need defense. They need playoff contributors, but... You know, defense is the headline with him, and you brought up the shooting already, but this might seem like an extreme way to phrase this question, but, you know, I've watched a lot of Torrey Craig, especially in the playoffs, and they kind of just stuck him in the corner on an offense. Like, what is he good at offensively on a night-to-night basis? He is good at catching alley-oops, and he's good at corner three <laughs> sometimes. That's probably his whole offense there. Okay, The Suns' .5 system with Monty Williams, you, you have to make a decision fast. So he's really good at making the right decision as far as keeping the ball moving. He's not really a ball stopper, which is a good thing for Indiana's offense. So he fits in that, from that aspect. But offensive versatility-wise, he, he can maybe get some catch-and-shoot threes. He was actually really good atop the baseline shooting threes in the playoffs. I think he shot around 45% from that area of, from three-point distance during the Suns' run in the finals. But I don't like I mentioned, I don't know if that's sustainable or not. But catch-and-shoot threes, he's hit or miss. He's a great as, as far as transition getting to around the rim for alley-oops. But that's really pretty much it with Torrey Craig's offense. I mean, he can move the ball a little bit, but he's not, that's not going to provide much else for you. Yeah, that's kind of the read I get is that, you know, if he's if he's with that Pacer second unit, depending on how they shake out the minutes, is that he'll be in there for defense and, and keeping the ball moving so T.J. McConnell can set up even, even Craig, but other guys for, for the shots they're good at because this offensive package is not particularly great. The lobs are interesting because we saw more alley-oops from the Pacers in summer league than we've seen from the Pacers in like the last four seasons combined. So maybe the bringing in all the guys from Dallas and in, installing some of their system, which is also, you know, it's not quite Monty, Monty Williams level speed of 0.5 seconds, but the, it's pretty read and react as well. Maybe he can fit in well there and, and be a threat around the basket, but his NBA journey is pretty wild. I think he was the first guy ever to sign a two way contract, like officially uh, with, with Denver in 2017, 18, and has grown from that to a guy who started a bunch for them again, was key for Phoenix in the playoffs. What stands out to you about his journey and how do you feel like he's been able to grow so much in the NBA? Yeah, it's really interesting. Like you mentioned, he started his career over in Australia with the NBL and then he was going to stay over there until he got an opportunity in the summer league with the Nuggets and he decided to forego who was going to be a lucrative contract from what he told us here in Phoenix to stay in Australia for the really next three or four years, I believe. Takes that risk with Denver, proves himself. He ends up being a rotation piece there for a couple of years. Obviously, he gets traded to Milwaukee. But then he gets traded to the Suns, where, again, he shows why he was a rotation player in deep playoff runs. And he just has a really unique player profile, like we've talked about so far on the show. Just He's a great defender. He's a smart, high IQ player. And nowadays, that's really a coveted asset for teams, especially ones that are playoff ready. You need to have those smart guys, those grizzled playoff experience guys, and the ones that could bring leadership as well. I know Torrey Craig is only around Phoenix for about six months, but he was a veteran voice in that locker room and one that guys like Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Burgess especially relied on 
down a stretch. He's one of those guys that knows tricks of the trade. He can get everyone going. And his defense versatility is the, his name of the game. And I think we've seen it in Denver. We saw it a little bit in Milwaukee before he got out of the rotation, but especially for Phoenix, he showed that when he's cooking on defense, he can definitely earn a role around 15 to 20 minutes per game. You know, I was, my next two questions on the Tory Craig questions list were, where did he help the Suns most post-acquisition? And can he help the Pacers off the court? And I think you just answered both of them. Uh, so I don't even have to skip over those ones. I mean, we talked a little bit about this team and Rick Carlisle and how the Dallas coaching conglomerate that came over likes to play. Um, and th- this is a pretty busy Pacers team in terms of number of players. Like, I've tried to build a dummy rotation for this team, and it's hard. They have a lot of guys worthy of minutes. But just in general, given the skill set you know Craig to have and the journey you you followed with him from when he got to Phoenix, the team you covered most heavily last season, do you feel like he's a good fit for the Pacers? And do you feel like the uh, vice versa, the Pacers are a good fit for him? Yeah, I think it's a perfect fit for Torrey Craig. I do wonder how much he can get in the rotation because, like you mentioned, they have O'Shea Bursette who broke out last year. They have Justin Holiday who can play three and four. But Torrey Craig, on some nights, he can be out of the rotation. But I think on most nights, especially when you look at the Eastern Conference, when you have those those wings like Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum, he should be playing around 15 to 20 minutes per game in those outcomes because he's shown to be a really solid defender. He can get under guys' skin. He really fits almost like a TJ McConnell role for Indiana as well as far as being an irritant on defense. So that could be a fun duo between him and McConnell. But I do think that Craig might be in the outside looking in just because Chris Duarte – is a guy yep. that really worked on summer league for them. And I thought maybe Craig could be an over Duarte in the rotation, but once you saw Duarte be able to play one through three and show a true win now type of role for the Pacers, I do think he cracks the rotation. Maybe Craig's your 11th man now. So I do do wonder if that's going to be like a 10 to 15 minute per game role. Even if it's, even if it's that small, Tony, I do think he can make an impact in that. Just throw him out there, see what happens on defense against these star wings. And I think he can hold his own in that situation. So Maybe on most other nights against those star wings, you can get them around 15, 20 minutes per game. But even in a smaller role, I think Craig can thrive in them. Yeah, you know, I struggle with that too. Like pre-summer league, I had him penciled in with four more minutes than Duarte. Right now, I have that not the case uh, as I try to build a fake rotation. Uh, and I'm going to do that on Locked On Pacers pretty soon for a whole episode. But yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to fit in everybody minutes-wise. But that said, like part of the reason they signed him is they sucked at guarding those guys that you talked about last year. Like, even guys like Mikael Bridges, you know, you saw that game. He had 30 points against the Pacers, right? Like OG Ananobi had 30-something points against the Pacers. Gordon Hayward kills them. Like, they just struggled so much with these taller forwards who can dribble even a tiny bit. And I think Torrey Craig can help so much with that, but it, it's it's hard to exactly figure out where he fits in the rotation. But I, I'm glad you agree with me mostly on that one. Yeah, I really think, honestly, there's some combinations you can throw Torrey Craig in, into Indiana's rotation. I'm really thinking about it more as we're talking. I like the idea of him alongside TJ Warren a lot. I think that could be a really fun 3-4 combo. Craig has shown he could play small ball four, even small ball five for the Suns in the playoff run. He could throw in a Sabonis or Turner. He won't have an issue spacing the floor as well. I think he could play some minutes with the starters at some point. I think Craig has shown that his playoff mentality, his versatility as a defender, he can fit in almost anywhere like a glove. And especially with Indiana's rotation that's already strong with shooting, with defense, adding him into the mix, I think he could be a guy that could really get some run with the starters too. Yeah, I agree with all that. And this has been very helpful because I didn't know a ton about Torrey Craig. Really, before the playoffs, I knew very little about him. And then I learned a lot about him, especially defending Giannis a little bit in the finals. But Evan, thank you so much for the time. Tell everybody where they can follow you and all of your work. Yeah, so like Tony mentioned at the top of the show, you can go follow me. I am over at Basketball News. I'm their NBA lead writer and cover the Phoenix Suns for Basketball News, as well as Forbes. 
And then also on the cold side of things, you listen to the Locked On Podcast Network, as you should, with Tony doing great stuff here, and Adam. Go ahead and follow and subscribe to Locked On Colts. I am the Colts host over there. We do daily stuff covering the Annapolis Colts. And I also write for Stampede Blue as well. So I'm in a lot of places in a lot of different pots. But it's a fun. it's been fun so far. I can't wait to keep going. Because of your Colts connections, you're the only guy allowed to plug football writing places on this podcast. So that's great. Follow Evan, follow all his stuff. And if you like the Colts, that's a perfect place to go. Thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Tony. Let's take one more break here because this episode is also brought to you by the great folks over at rockauto.com. With ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock the parts you need. you got to go in there. Well, they figure out what car you have, the Odyssey, the LX, the EX, the CX, the whatever you have, and wait while the person behind the counter just orders the parts there because they never have what you need right there in the warehouse. You have a computer with access to rockauto.com. You can avoid all of that. You can save time and money. You can save 30 for 50 even 100% more for the same parts from your local chain store. They're a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over two decades. Their prices at Rock Auto always reliably low for every customer. And they have everything you need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, you name it. You got to go check them out. Explore the easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you from Locked On Pacers. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. And we're also talking about the great folks over at Built Bar because they are making, as you know, the best tasting protein bars ever. They have so many delicious flavors. There's something for everyone. They are 100% covered in chocolate, soft and easy to chew protein bars. Everybody who's tried them that follows this podcast on Twitter has told us that they love them, what their favorite flavors are. The birthday cake one's really good. They have a mixed package with nine of their most popular flavors. The double chocolate's my favorite in there. Peanut butter brownie is delicious. Coconut almond is delicious. You got to try them. You can get two of each of their nine of those nine flavors in the mix box, and they're all really healthy too, right? 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only four to five grams of sugar, only four to five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. What more could you need? They're the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team, which is super neat. So go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your order of Built Bars. That promo code is LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, now joining me from Kentucky Sports Radio, Zach Gagan, whose name I now know how to pronounce because there are a lot more letters in there than the expectation. We're going to talk Isaiah Jackson, Pacers 22nd pick in this draft and his time at Kentucky. And I know Zach was psyched about this pick because three minutes after the Pacers traded for it, Zach messaged me to tell me how excited Pacers fans are going to be about Isaiah Jackson. So, Zach, what do you love about Isaiah Jackson and how he'll fit with this Pacer team? Well, I was I, I think I'm a big fan of of Isaiah Jack to the Pacers because of the fit. And, and I remember the first thing I kind of said was you could kind of play him next to either a, a Sabonis or a Miles Turner, depending on, I guess, whoever the Pacers want to end up keeping. And I don't know if that's still a thing going around that those trade rumors, but those two, I'm sure they are, but he's a guy that can work with either of those, uh, either of those bigs, you know, he's not necessarily a shooter by any means. He can step out to about 12 or 15 feet if he really wants to, but his bread is buttered in the pick and roll and defending the rim. And he's just a guy that he has very good instincts uh, when it comes to defending the rim. He needs to work a little bit on things like staying in front of smaller defenders, which I think he can get better at at time because he has really long arms and just a, a, a body that allows him to guard players like that. But just off the bat, he's going to be a guy that's going to 
block shots at a very, very high NBA type level from day one. And he's going to run the floor and he's going to try and go up for lots a lot. So I think he's a guy that can work next to a, a, a spacing big, like a Sabonis or um, like a miles Turner and just kind of float around them and, you know, pick up the garbage plays for the start. And he's obviously, a, you know, probably going to be a bench guy from the beginning, but us Kentucky fans, we were a little shocked to see him fall to, I think, what was it? 23, 22. Yeah, 22. We were a little bit shocked because we were thinking maybe at the latest it might be, you know, in the back to the back of the teens around like 20 or something like that. So we were a little shocked to see him fall. And I definitely think the Pacers got a steal with uh, with that pick there. I didn't watch a ton of him when I was doing college film because I didn't expect the Pacers to go with a four or five who had interior skills. But the more I watch him, uh, he has four skills, right? He can defend the perimeter and rim run and, and be a screener out on the perimeter like he showed in summer league when he was just all energy, all agility all the time. And some within the Pacers, you know, we've heard Carlisle mention his shot blocking and skills at the five. And then we've heard some of the front office guys be like, we think he can play the four. And then at Kentucky, he played both. So where do you think he was better? And do you feel like he can play both four and five in the NBA? Well, I think with Kentucky, it was it's difficult to kind of to project what how he'll play at the next level just because Kentucky was terrible. Like when it's the worst team they've literally had in a hundred years. So uh it was a little, you know, diff- like normally they don't rely on a guy like him who can't necessarily score. And you know, he was probably forced into a little bit of a bigger role than he would have normally, you know, normally been in, in a regular year for Kentucky. Um, but I definitely see him at least at the beginning playing more at the five. I think just that's where he's better suited, um, especially with a guy that can shoot the ball. I think he needs to be next to someone that can help just like, you know, get get him some open space rolling to the rim. I think that's I really, really, really like the Sabonis pairing with with Isaiah Jackson. I think that'll be if they can, you know, run 10, 12 minutes a game together, try and build some coverage. I think those two will work well together. And Isaiah Jackson's a guy that does not stop moving. He'll try and cut to the Never. rim. He'll get, yeah, he'll get back door. <laughs> He'll, he'll do all that. He'll be a guy that Savonis loves to play with. So I think the five is definitely better suited for him. Um, if he can develop a bit of a little bit of a better jump shot, which he just, he never really showed a Kentucky, whether it was, you know, a design of the offense or just a lack of a jumper. Uh, but I definitely, he, it's not like he has bad mechanics or anything. So he can absolutely, uh, you know, progress in that area, but just from the start, and especially what you've probably seen in summer league, I think, his best role at the beginning will be playing the five and in pretty much just running around and being, you know, raising havoc, doing things that I maybe like a Montrez Harrell might do. Uh, but, you know, obviously with defending the rim and things like that. In summer league, he two or three times, he would get the ball at the top of the key and they'd do scissor cuts off him. And then he just threw these beautiful, like whip it over his head passes to a cutting guard or a wing going to the basket. And I was like, you know, whoa, I, I very, very rarely did I hear anyone talk about his passing. Uh, so that was something that stood out to me in his summer league performances. But to you, someone who watched basically all of his minutes last year, Kentucky, what stands out about his skills that isn't talked about that much? Well, it's funny you mentioned the passing thing because he really didn't show much passing at all at Kentucky. And uh, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about, you know, whether or not that's just kind of the role they had him in. You know, one of one of John Calipari's favorite things to say is that, you know, they purposely made Carl Anthony Towns not shoot threes, and now he's a really good three-point shooter. So it was just a matter of what works best for the offense. Um, so with Isaiah Jackson, I'm sorry, what was the initial uh, yeah, question you're asking there? <laughs> Do you feel like there's some skill in his game that oh, isn't discussed much? Yeah, um, I definitely, I would, I would say his ability to get off the floor quick, 
like his second jump, I think is just as good as his first jump. And that's really important for a guy like him who really likes to volleyball tap and, and he's going to go up and, you know, he'll create extra loose ball scenarios and and more 50, 50 balls just because of his second and first jump is going to be quicker than other guys. So I think, you know, not necessarily a skill, I guess, but it's one of those little things that I I definitely think uh, will give him, you know, just an extra half second to make plays that, you know, other guys can't. So um, in terms of his passing, I definitely, there's probably, uh, you know, things there that we didn't get to see too much, especially with his shooting and scoring. I will say he wasn't, you know, the, the most adept at taking the ball to the rim. Again, I think part of that was just the offense that they had designed to Kentucky. And if you give him a little more space and obviously uh, some NBA training, uh, I think that can absolutely change because he's, he's long enough to be able to finesse his way to the rim and, you put a little meat on him up top, which I think is going to be a big, big part early on because he's still very skinny. And that was kind of, you know, if there was an issue uh, with him defending the rim at Kentucky, it was that he could still kind of get bullied down low if he wasn't, you know, just going straight up for a block. So a lot of guys from UK, it feels like almost always outperform their draft slot. Like, I mean, Booker has been often discussed in the late lotto, but it's like so many of them, you like Maxi last year, even I was a big Jamal Murray guy. He went six and he's still outperforming that slot. Why does this keep happening with Kentucky guys? Is it because you've talked about a lot of their offense and how like guys roles maybe aren't perfect for them, but they still have a really good record every year. Right. So it's not like it's not mm-hmm. working except for last year. So why do they always do better than their draft slot? Well, I think that's part of like, and, you know, I'll reiterate myself again. I think it's just part of how the offense was played and just Calipari prefers to have guys not necessarily step out of their boundaries and, you know, stick to what they know. And then once they get to uh, the, the NBA is when they can really, you know, show off their versatility and like, cause you can go with guys like Shea Alexander, who was, who ended up being, I think he was like 14 or maybe right outside the lottery. He's another, so there's, there's, and uh, even PJ Washington and Bam Adebayo, like I could literally just go on and on with those type of guys. Basically, so, everybody who didn't go number one is looking yeah. pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's been it's been like that for for Kentucky for the last five years or so. And I honestly I don't know why that keeps happening. You feel like eventually the the scouts would just take these guys whenever they become available because Kentucky really hasn't had a bona fide you know number one two type picks since probably Carl Anthony Towns back in 2015. So. There may maybe you know if they're if the Kentucky guy's not showing superstar status at Kentucky, people are a little more hesitant on him. But obviously that's that's not the case, or it's not it's proving not to be the case. So I think Isaiah Jackson will be showing some skills that he just was either not allowed to show at UK or uh, you know was encouraged not to. And I, he'll be, he'll be a lot more versatile as a as a freshman at Indiana or with the Pacers than he was at uh, Kentucky. So last one, just very zoomed out. And I know the Pacers already have three centers, 26 and younger, but do you feel like the Pacers are a good situation for Jackson from the Midwest, originally from Michigan, went to Kentucky, but beyond the location, basketball wise, team wise, do you feel like Indiana is a good fit for him? Uh, I do. I, well, let me ask you this. What is it? What do you think is going to happen with Turner and Sabonis? Cause I think that is kind of, will be an indicator of, you know, where Isaiah's role will be going forward. Yeah, it's tough for me to to talk about his role, his rookie year, because they have Goga Batadze as well, who they drafted 18th uh, two years ago now, who they like. And he showed a lot, took a lot of steps forward last year. So because that, you know, we've seen Sabonis play the four. We know Turner can shoot and stretch out alongside another big, right? If they just get and, and Sabonis can play next to anyone, he's playing the four now. So between Sabonis and Turner, if one of them's gone in the future, Jackson will have a role then. 
this year, I don't know necessarily, but to answer your question more specifically, you know, there's only two years left on Turner's deal. They have a new coach. I think Rick Carlisle is going to want to see what he can do with the roster he has before they make a final decision. So I think they'll enter the season with all four of Jackson, Batadze, Turner, and Sabonis. But, I, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's got to come to a head eventually. I mean, that's been the hot mm-hmm. button for the Pacers for forever. So maybe that's that's where Jackson's fit suffers in year one to me. Uh, but in the future, he'll be set up well because he can fit with any of those guys. Yeah, and I and I agree. And I think he's a guy that you can use like as a project, kind of mold him. You know, if you really want his offense to expand, it's going to it's going to take a process. You know, three maybe four years of doing that. So you can, he's a guy that you can kind of toy around with and and play with all those other centers. And uh, I don't think do the the Pacers don't have any other bigs besides those four. Then do they? Correct. Okay, so uh, yeah, there's. I think there'll definitely be opportunities for him, obviously, to come in and play and. Uh, a lot of it will come down to, you know, who does he play with better? And is there, you know, a, a more underlying off, offensive skill set that we never really got to see at Kentucky? It wouldn't Which shock me too. It wouldn't shock me too if they, you know, if he wasn't playing much, that they just say, okay, go put up 30 and 15 in the G League every day because mm-hmm. Biggs in the G League put up just hilarious stats. Right. Zach's on Twitter. Uh, I will, I would say just follow at uh, Z Geegan KSR, but that's not going to be helpful because spelling his last name <laughs> will not be helpful there. I'll tag him in the tweet though for the podcast so if you want to follow him and get more Kentucky news, that's your way to do it. Zach, appreciate the time, man. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. For-